Hebrews 4. Let's start reading in uh, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have been focusing on grace really uh, uh, for the last couple months and we're going to continue. And last week we, we asked the question, right, if, if God is a God of grace in his being and, and we look. In Psalms 138, right? The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, right? If God is the God of all grace and His throne is the throne of grace, why then in our relationship with our Father, why do we hesitate? Why is it so difficult? Why is it so challenging, especially when we blow it, to come to the throne of grace. Why, why is it so difficult, right? There was a story of uh, an artist, right? The artist's name was Sir Edward Byrne Jones, 19th century English artist. This artist went to his daughter's home for tea. During the tea, his little granddaughter misbehaved. So her mother made her stand in the corner with her face to the wall. Sir Edward did not interfere in his granddaughter's discipline. But the next day, he arrived at the house with his paints, went to the wall where the little girl had been forced to stand, and proceeded to paint a number of pictures that would delight a child. A kitten chasing its tail, lambs in a field, goldfish swimming, etc. If his granddaughter had to stand in the corner again, at least you would have something to look at. And, and what's, what's the point of that story? It's, it's a story of, of judgment, discipline being tempered by grace. By grace. There was discipline and yet some grace, what I had to look at. And, and we, the challenge, in, and for many of us, the challenge in, in this series on grace, the more I'm t- chatting with you and, and, and kind of getting a sense, is that that's been out of balance. We, we've grown up with sort of God of judgment. And not so much God of grace. And so in approaching the throne of grace, especially when we're struggling, especially when we've blown it, and we have sort of a skewed view of God's nature, maybe way skewed to judgment and not balanced with grace, that can make it tough. That can make it really tough, right? And so... And your outline there, right, on the, on the back side, it says, why, it's so, why is it so difficult to approach the throne of grace, right? First one is, maybe you have an inaccurate view of the throne. It's the throne of grace. Many of us, even as believers, still carry this idea of a throne of judgment. If I blow it, I've got to go to the principal's office, right? God is the big principal, and I'm going to be judged. And so it's a very fearful, very scary picture we have versus what? If you're a believer, it's no longer a throne of judgment. It is literally what? A throne of what? 
grace. Now, if you're a non-believer, it's, it's a radically different story. But if you are a believer this morning, it's the throne of grace. It's not being called to the principal's office. And for many, that, that right there, if you, can, if you can change that false belief, that inaccurate picture, your relationship with the Lord is going to blossom. If you can, if you can get rid of, of the throne of judgment picture and God is the big principal in the sky, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Now, where do we get this? You know, from the Old Testament, you know, if you're not careful, you get the, the picture of, of, remember the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies, what, once a year? Right? In fact, in Leviticus 16.2, we looked at this a few weeks ago, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses, right, into the most holy place behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. Right? That's the old covenant. You come once, when I tell you, or you'll die. And if we're not careful, we carry this old covenant theology and mentality into what? The new covenant. Because we've seen before, the throne of grace is opened when? How? how? 24 what? 24-7. You come whenever you want, whenever you need. It's 24-7. And you don't come in fear, you come with confidence, right? It's the complete opposite in the new covenant. We have to remember this. As believers, we are under the new covenant. Things have been changed completely. Right? So we may have an inaccurate view of the throne... I have an, the next one, I have an inaccurate view of God. And we spent a few weeks looking at the God of grace through creation. God created everything and He said it was what? Good. For whose benefit? Ours. Right? He says, I'm going to bless you with a multitude. Eat of every tree except one. Right? So God was a God of grace and creation and we saw that. Right? And then, last week, we saw God was a God of grace in the what? The fall. Right? If there was ever a time when two people blew it big time, who here has ever had in your life said, I blew it? Anyone have ever had an I blew it moment? Like, you ever remember that commercial where something happens and it says, You want to get away? Right? You ever have one of those moments where you do something and you're like, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I shouldn't have reacted that way. Oh, you ever have one of those oh moments? and you wish you could just take it all back in the sen- and, and, and you can't, right? And, and, and Adam and Eve, we saw last Sunday, they had one. <laughs> the minute they ate, right, thinking they were going to be like God, thinking they were going to reap all this benefit, and we saw, right, the root of sin is what? Doubting God's goodness. And when you doubt God's goodness, then you doubt His Word, and the door opens to what? Well, if God's not that good... And I really can't trust his word to be that good. I got to do it on my own then. That's, that, that's kind of the root of sin, is doubting God's character, that he's not that good, which leads to doubting his word, which leads to the door being opened. Well, if God's not that good, it's up to who? Me. And sin deceives us into thinking that we're going to get something of our own effort, of our own doing, that's going to benefit us far beyond what God could. And God's like, no, I gave you my word to protect you, to bless you, right? And we walked through last Sunday, Adam and Eve, right? And we saw when there was sin, it led to shame, guilt, and ultimately separation. And we saw throughout God's interaction with them, 
He was the God of grace. He comes down, and what's his question to Adam? Where are you? Now, depending on your view of God we saw last Sunday, that could be a very angry question. Where are you? See, if, you, if, it's, if it's the Old Testament God, then many of you probably have read that. Adam, God comes down and like, where are you? I saw what you did. Where are you? Right? And if that's your view of God, you'd be hiding. But we saw last Sunday, it wasn't that. It was like, hey, Adam, where are you? Every day, we'd come. I'd, I'd show up. You and me would come running out. We'd, we'd enjoy fellowship. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no guilt. Where are you? He knew where Adam was physically. He was giving Adam an opportunity to come clean. Yeah, I'm right. Right. Right? And then God continues on. Have you eaten? Right? Again, you can hear, where are you? Well, have you eaten? And he goes through this whole thing, right? And again, you can hear it that way. Did you, Scott, did you? Have you done that again, Scott? Ah, yeah, yeah, right? Scott! How many times, Scott, right? Have you, right? And, and if, if we were hearing God as the Old Testament God, you, how many, right? Have you? But it was, it's like, hey, Adam, where are you? Hey, Adam, have you eaten of that fruit that I told you not to? Right? It was grace, it was compassion. He was helping Adam, what? Confess. Because all Adam had to do was say, yeah, yeah. And, and I shared with you as a parent, you know, when, you're, when your kids do something wrong, there's dealing with, with their choice. But as a parent, wouldn't it, isn't, it, isn't it really nice when your kids of their own free will admit it, come clean? Isn't that the deeper relational issue? Because there's trust and there's, there's restoration at the heart issue because they felt good enough to just, yeah, I, yeah, I did it. I did it. Instead of, what cookie? I didn't eat the cookie. I don't know how the vase that you told me never to touch fell and broke. You know, all right? You know, like all this stuff that, that Adam and Eve, blame shifting, right? Blaming the other person, blaming God, blaming circumstance, right? No, God was a God of compassion. Right? He, he says, okay, here's, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide a plan of redemption. We saw last week at the end that why did God kick him out, right? Again, if you hear this angry God, where are you? Have you eaten? Get out of here. Right? That's how many of us have read that. I used to read that for a long time. But it was more, hey, where are you? Did you, did you do that? Hey, and I put in plan, a, a plan of victory, ultimate redemption, but here's the deal, Adam and Eve. I gotta protect you, even from yourself. So you gotta go. Because if you eat of the tree of life in your fallen state, I can't help you. You're, you're gonna be fallen forever. So you gotta go. And even in his compassion, he was in his grace, he was protecting them. And the whole point of that uh, last week was to, was to help us to understand that when we blow it, when we blow it. God is going to be a God of grace. God is going to be a God of grace. You can come to Him, right? And yet, we can still have it. Sense, okay, okay, God is a God of grace. I get that, I get that. 
But then we ask ourselves the question, well, what happens when we go to the throne then? How many of you ever, rewind your tapes, how many of you are ever scared to go to the dentist? Maybe still scared. Anyone remember your first time to the doctor? Anyone there first day of school? Right? Now, how many of you, your parents or you as a parent, before you went to this scary unknown, your parents or you as a parent sit down and try to explain what's going to happen? Okay. So you're going to go to the dentist, and they're just going to put you in a chair. Right? Have anyone ever tried to walk you through a scenario to what? Help alleviate the fear, the anxiety, to get you to, okay, yeah, this is what, this is what mom said was going to happen. And I'm going to, right? Just kind of... Well, some of us, when it comes to the throne of grace, we get it here, but then you may be scared to come because you don't know what's going to happen. You're not so sure of what's actually going to transpire when you get there. What's going to happen? You ever think about that? Okay, so Hebrews 4. Come, to, come boldly to the throne of grace. Okay, I blew it. God's a God of grace. I thought I didn't, ever, I didn't blow it as bad as Adam and Eve, so I'm going to come. What happens at the throne of grace? What do you find there? Grace? How does that manifest itself? You ever think about that? What, what, what happens? It's kind of the same thing I was sharing with the worship team this morning. If, if someone came to the worship team and said, out in the, out in the community and said, you know, I've got to meet with this guy named Bill Burr. And I've heard some really bad things about this guy. I'm kind of un, un, uneasy going to meet him. What would you say? Yeah, you're right. Woo! You know, no, you wouldn't say that, right? <laughs> what would you say? You know, you'd say, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. I know Bill. Bill's a good guy. And you would try to explain who Bill is to this person. Why didn't he have to be afraid to come to Bill and, and meet with him? And you might even say this. Hey, I'll go with you. You want me to go with you? I'll go with you. I know Bill. And in many ways, some of us carry around these anxieties and these fears about going to the throne of grace because we're still unsure about who we're going to meet there and what he's going to do and how he's going to react. And so this morning we're going to look at what happens when we get to the throne of grace. Right? Adam, he hid. He hid. Right? He was scared and he hid. Right? And they, in your notes, everyone said there, Esther, if you remember the book of Esther, she, she was going to go approach the king and remember her famous phrase, if I perish, I perish. Her attitude was, well, I don't know. If I perish, I perish. I don't know. I don't know what happens when I go see this. Some of us have this with God. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. So Adam, some of us run because we don't want to be in his presence. We hide. Esther, I don't know. If I perish, I perish. Oh, well. Right? We kind of have this attitude about God. And then the prodigal son, remember the prodigal son, the Bible says he comes to his senses. And then he says, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to repent. And he says, make me as one of you what? Your hired servant. See, some of us think that when we go to the throne of grace, God's going to forgive us, but, but, it's never going to be the same. I'm not going to be a son of God. I'm going to be a son of God. Just make me a hired servant. See, some of us come to God. Okay, God. Yeah, I'm going to receive your forgiveness, but I think you're going to hold it against me because I'm just going to be like the hired people now. I'm not going to be your son. Remember what happened to Prodigal? What happened? He shows up. What does his father do? Ba 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 ba! Woo! Psh, party! 
the son had to be just completely like, what? I thought when I come into your presence and repent, you're just gonna, I was going to be less than. I was going to have a, a, a scarlet letter put on me and I'm just going to be hired. I never thought we would be so restored that I would be back to sonship. And some of us carry around this guilt and shame for our stuff as believers. And we come to God, or we have this view, if we come to God and receive His forgiveness, we're still never going to be fully restored. We're going to be less than. That's not true. That's not true. Right? So what do we find at the throne of grace? Well, we're in, we're in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Who's the high priest he's talking about? Jesus, right? But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So the first thing he says here, I am met with what? Sympathy. Understanding. Compassion. Isn't that awesome? I'm guilty of this. And, and I, you know, and I remember it happened to me growing up. How many of you have ever come and knew you had to make it right, had to confess to your parents or an authority figure, and the first word out of your, their mouth was, I told you so? Anyone? Not sympathy, not compassion. It was what? I told you so. I knew it. Right? Here's the radical thing. When we come, okay, so you decide to come, what's going to happen? The first thing is not, I told you so, Bill. Robert, I told you. It's, I understand. I understand how tough that was for you. I know how long you've been struggling with that. I was there. I, I, I know what you're feeling. I, knew, I know the turmoil. I know the confusion you were feeling. I know the battle that was raging in you. I, I, I know. How many of us would just love to have a relationship with the Lord and then a relationship with people in this room? When we blow it, it's not this. It's, I know. I know. It's tough, wasn't it? Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. That, that meets us at the heart level that, that looks us in the eye and says, I know that was a tough one, wasn't it? And I know, I, I know you made a poor choice. I know you sinned. But I want you to know that I know. I know what you were going through. See, so many of us are so bound up right now. So bound up. You don't even, you've been so bound up, you don't even know you are. That they go, and how do you get that? Okay. How do you get that? With God first, and then with humans, you just need someone to go, I know. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That's all you need. So when you come to the throne of grace, the first thing you're going to get is sympathy, compassion, and understanding. Because Jesus, those verses tell you Jesus knows exactly. He knows exactly what you went through. He knows exactly. Okay, you're going to get that, right? And then it says, I receive mercy. Hebrews 4, 16, right? Let's keep reading. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive what? Mercy. Tenderness. 
Someone defined it as God's kindness and goodwill toward the miserable and afflicted with a desire to relieve them. See, someone said mercy or justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But here's the great thing. You come to the throne of grace, you're going to get sympathy, compassion, understanding. You're going to receive mercy. Tenderness. You're not going to get what you deserve. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Now, there may be consequences still of your decision, right? There may be consequences in the world because you do, but you're not going to get condemnation. When you come to the throne of grace, you're going to get tenderness, and you're not going to get what you deserve. Woo! Right? Quote by John MacArthur says, Ours is not a cosmic God, powerful and holy, but indifferent. He knows where we hurt, where we are weak, and where we are tempted. He is the God we can go to, not only for salvation, but sympathy. Ah. Man. Anyone ever have a time in your life when you just wanted to be with someone who just would listen and understand? Somehow just communicate that I'm with you, I love you unconditionally. Pour out your heart. It's not going to change my view of you. I'm here thick and thin. What you get when you come to the And then it says we're going to find what? We're going to find grace. We're going to find grace. And we've been talking about grace. Unmerited favor. Supernatural enabling. We're going to find grace. Getting what you don't deserve. Isn't that crazy? You blow it big time. You decide in your heart, I'm going to confess, I'm going to repent. You go there, God says, hey man, I... Whew, yeah, that was tough, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And you know what? You're not going to get what you deserve. And you know what? I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, which is supernatural power. be victorious next time. What? What? This is all happening at the throne of grace. This is what happens when you go to the throne of grace. Right? And then it says this, I love this, right? It says... So that we we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That word help has two word pictures that are just incredible, right? The word the first word picture is cry and run. Right? Psalm seventy verse one says, Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Right? So there's a cry for help. And here's the great thing. That same word means the person who hears the cry comes running. Isn't that awesome? Now it makes sense when you read Hebrews 13.6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know what that means? The Lord is waiting and ready to run to you when you cry for help. Not like, Scott, again? I was just there. Just there, Scotty. No, you cry for help. Jesus, in that word, it means he comes running. There's a cry and an immediate response of aid. Isn't that awesome? That's the help, right? And then the second word picture, turn to Acts 27. Acts 27. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
familiar with the story. Paul is on a ship. There's a storm. Everyone's freaking out. Right? Acts 27, verse 14. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called uh, Kadua, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbar, right? In the King James Version, where it says in uh, verse 17, where they uh, put ropes around it, right? It says that they put help. And here's that word help. It's a nautical term. And it means to bind tightly. So what they would do in the middle of a storm, this ship is about to be torn and the seams are about to break, what they do is they would run ropes around it and bind it tightly together. Oh my God. I cry for help. Jesus comes running. I cry for help, and he stops me. He wraps me up. 